It's Friday afternoon of a long, hard week. Maybe you're due for a special treat in the form of a dinner out, but it's just too much trouble to get spiffed up for a nice meal at that French place the next town over. It'll be much more comforting to go to the little local restaurant, nothing too fancy, and they've got great crispy potato skins. Not those soggy fat potato boats some other places put out, but real scooped out skins of half a potato chock full of bacon, scallions, and sharp cheddar cheese. Ed and Maggie, the proprietors, sure know how to make hearty home-style grub for the local folks. Go ahead, order some. Just don't do it too often. Hi, I'm Mark Timmon, the Healthy Geezer. I have a master's degree in clinical nutrition, and I've been studying the nutrition and biochemistry behind health and disease for over 49 years. If you want to know how to build better health and how to protect yourself against disease, then this is the place for you. Welcome to the Healthy Geezer podcast. This is episode eight, still clueless after all these years. Figuring out what to eat has always been an experiment. Lucy out in the savannah four million years ago did not have a laboratory she could use to test leaves, roots, berries, and shreds of raw meat she ate for toxins. It was all hit or miss. If it didn't kill our ancestors, they kept eating it. Only a shade more than a hundred years ago did scientists finally realize it might be important to seek out the nutrients in foods that keep us going. The field of study has grown to the point where we now know that there is still much to learn about the good and evil buried inside the foods we eat. In short, we are still pretty clueless after all these years about what foods and dietary habits help us or harm us. But teams of researchers around the world are looking for answers. In this episode, we will look at some key findings from the Global Burden of Disease Study. The Global Burden of Disease study provides the most comprehensive estimates of global health, examining worldwide, national, and regional trends for mortality from major diseases, injuries, and risk factors to understand the health challenges of the 21st century. Research is ongoing in over 200 countries worldwide. Today, I report on risk factors to health in the form of dietary preferences. Some of these preferences are not even viewed as preferences. They are deeply embedded in the culture of specific countries. They have become second nature, the accepted way of eating, sometimes to the detriment of the society at large. And often, what we eat shows that we still, for the most part, don't know what we're doing. Our diets have largely been formed by trial and error, at least in the beginning. Science is only now beginning to delve into what is in the foods we eat and how what is there ultimately affects our health. The Global Burden of Disease study highlights some of the errors we have made. In simplest terms, in the global perspective, the food we eat is putting 11 million people into an early grave each year. That is only 0.141% of the world population of 7.8 billion, but who among those 11 million have we lost? How many loved ones mourn? How many brilliant minds are stilled? Looking at all known impacts of food, we find that our daily diet is a bigger killer than smoking and is now involved in one in five deaths around the world, if we discount the present impact of COVID-19. The Global Burden of Disease Study is the most authoritative assessment of how people are dying in every country in the world. 
The latest analyses used estimates of countries' eating habits to pin down how often diet was shortening lives. Salt, whether in bread, soy sauce, or processed meals, shortened the highest number of lives. Researchers stress that the study is about poor quality diets damaging hearts and causing cancer. In a quick summary of the study's findings, we see that dangerous diets are those containing too much salt, 3 million deaths, too few whole grains, 3 million more deaths, too little fruit, 2 million deaths, low levels of nuts, seeds, vegetables, omega-3 fatty acids from seafood, and of fiber were the other major killers. About 10 million out of the 11 million diet-related deaths were from cardiovascular disease, emphasizing how too much salt raises blood pressure that in turn raises the risk of heart attacks and strokes. Salt can also have a direct effect on the heart and blood vessels, leading to heart failure when the organ does not work effectively. Cancers and type 2 diabetes make up the rest of the diet-related deaths. Whole grains, fruit, and vegetables have the opposite effect. They are cardioprotective and lower the risk of heart problems. Although I easily recognize the nutrients in fruits and vegetables that provide the cardioprotection, I have my doubts about the value of whole grains beyond their fiber content. No country is perfect, and each includes some part of a healthy diet more than others, but humans the world over follow deeply flawed diets. The healthy foods missing from the most diets around the world were nuts and seeds, according to the study. Mediterranean countries, particularly France, Spain, and Israel, have some of the lowest numbers of diet-related deaths in the world. Countries in Southeast, Southern, and Central Asia are at the opposite end of the spectrum. To illustrate, Israel has the lowest diet-related deaths, 89 per 100,000 people a year. Uzbekistan has the highest diet-related deaths, 892 per 100,000 people a year. Japan and China have curiously contrasting fortunes that reflect their changing relationship with salt. China consumes enormous amounts of salt, with soy and other salty sauces featuring heavily in the country's cuisine. But the rising popularity of processed foods is introducing yet more salt to their diet, so China has the highest death rate because of salt of any country. Japan used to be in the same boat. Japan used to have a very high salt intake and an unusually high rate of stomach cancer from salt and pickling brines from the many pickled foods they ate. The country has reversed course and reduced salt consumption dramatically. Their consumption of abundant fruits and vegetables nowadays also helps blunt salt's impact. The global study first implies that people should increase their whole grain, fruit, nuts, seeds, and vegetable intake while reducing salt as much as possible. The Global Burden of Diseases Study 2017 pooled data from 132 researchers to characterize the intake for 15 foods and nutrients among adults aged 25 years or older across 195 countries, and then estimated the effect of each individual dietary factor on non-communicable disease mortality and assessed the trends in disease burden of diets over time. Now we know why it took two and a half years to finally announce the results. Analyzing data from 1990 to 2017 showed that high intake of sodium, low intake of whole grains, and low intake of fruits were the leading dietary risk factors for deaths and dailies globally and in many countries. Uh, and what are dailies? Dailies are 
disability-adjusted life years, the amount of time a patient spends living with and battling a chronic disease condition whose cause is traceable to dietary habits. It is a non-communicable chronic disease caused by diet. Living with type 2 diabetes or congestive heart failure are examples. In 2017, 11 million deaths and 255 million dailies were attributable to dietary risk factors. Here's how the numbers come together for the three leading dietary risk factors contributing globally to deaths and dailies. High intake of sodium caused 3 million deaths and 70 million dailies. Low intake of whole grains caused 3 million deaths and 82 million dailies. And low intake of fruits caused 2 million deaths and 65 million dailies. But 12 other risk factors were also evaluated. The full list of 15 dietary factors with definitions and showing the optimal healthful range of intake that is judged to carry no risk appears in the written transcript of this podcast. The list shows that the optimal level for fruit is 250 grams per day, a little less than 9 ounces. For vegetables is 360 grams per day or 12.7 ounces. For legumes, 60 grams or 2.1 ounces per day. That's not very much. For whole grains is 125 grams per day. That's about 4.4 ounces. For nuts and seeds is 21 grams per day, just three quarters of an ounce. For milk is 435 grams per day, somewhere between one and two cups. For red meat is 23 grams per day. That's not much. It is less than an ounce, which is 28.35 grams. For processed meat, just 2 grams a day, which is a quiet way of saying, don't eat it. For sugar-sweetened beverages, just 3 grams a day, meaning it is another do not eat, or in this case, drink, food. For fiber, 24 grams per day, but your body can easily handle 150 grams per day. For omega-3 fatty acids, eicosapentaenoic acid and docosahexaenoic acid, usually from fish, 250 grams a day. Omega-3 fatty acids have been an intense area of study for me, and I can say that 250 grams is far too little. 2 grams to 4 grams would do much to protect the cardiovascular system from disease. For calcium, the optimal level is 1.25 grams, or 1,250 milligrams. For polyunsaturated fatty acids, they are earmarked at 11% of dietary calories. That's okay by me as long as a significant portion of it is in the form of omega-3 fatty acids. While trans fatty acids are earmarked at just 0.5% of total daily calories. Finally, we get to salt, or rather, sodium. The optimal level here is supposed to be 3 grams. That may be a little high. The current recommended daily value in the United States is 2.3 grams, and that should be balanced with an intake of 4.7 grams of potassium. The translocation of sodium and potassium ions across a nerve membrane defines a nerve impulse. We must therefore have both sodium and potassium in our diets for the brain to function, the heart to beat, muscles to flex and relax. The problem with sodium originates in our evolutionary history. It was and still is very scarce in whole fresh foods. On the other hand, potassium is abundant. As human biochemistry evolved and adapted to its food supply, it recognized that a supply of potassium was abundant while sodium was scarce. 
The solution was for human biochemistry to devise ways to conserve and store sodium while letting potassium come in and go out with alacrity. This means you should eat fresh vegetables every day in order to meet your daily requirement for potassium. It also means that you should use salt sparingly because your body will hold on to it. And we need much more potassium than we do sodium as a result. Yet even after exhaustive study, uncertainty remains about the optimal level of intake for sodium. Although 3 grams a day seems okay, 1 to 5 grams per day was the range for optimal sodium intake among the regions. As I mentioned, the United States lands near the middle with a daily value of 2.3 grams. However, uncertainty arises based on data indicating that less than 2.3 grams per day is the intake level of sodium associated with the lowest level of blood pressure, and 4 to 5 grams per day is the level of sodium intake associated with the lowest risk of cardiovascular disease. What? Confusing? Certainly. Pinning down the universally ideal intake for sodium is a bit like putting on a blindfold at a birthday party and trying to pin the tail on the donkey. Finding the right number is confounded by human biochemical individuality. There are individuals, for instance, who can gobble down a salt block and never see their blood pressure elevate. Others may look cross-eyed at a potato chip and their blood pressure will rise 25 points. So all these estimates for an ideal sodium intake are simply that, estimates. But you can be sure that an appetizer of Ed and Maggie's potato skins will leave those numbers in the dust, just as the hare left the tortoise in the dust. Yet, if you adopt a gradual reduction in salt intake, building appreciation for less salty foods, you can win the race just as the tortoise did. They do live a long time, don't they? If you down Ed and Maggie's potato skins at dinner time and wake up in the morning with swollen eyes and fingers, then it is a fair bet that you should closely monitor your sodium intake. For sodium, the evidence supporting the optimal level of intake is rather confused due to its interplay with potassium. The unique balancing act they perform in biochemistry implies that a low-potassium, high-sodium diet will carry bigger risk than one in which high-sodium is matched or exceeded by high-potassium intake from fruits and vegetables. Except for sodium, the optimal level of intake for the other risk factors is that which minimizes the risk of death from all causes. Broadly speaking, the Global Burden of Disease study shows that people all around the world are not eating optimal amounts of nearly all healthy foods and nutrients. The greatest differences between actual intake versus optimal intake were observed for nuts and seeds, milk, and whole grains. If optimal intake of nuts and seeds is 21 grams per day, Mean consumption was just 12%, or 2.5 grams. That is about what one and a half medium-sized cashews weigh. If optimal intake of milk is 435 grams per day, mean consumption was just 16%, or 70 grams. That's just five-eighths of a cup, barely more than four ounces. If optimal intake of whole grains is 125 grams per day, Mean consumption was just 23% or 29 grams. Although density of bread varies widely, on average, 29 grams of whole grains is about equivalent to half a slice of bread. Given the anti-nutrients in most grains used in the human diet, I question the association of low whole grain consumption with any disease state. The science is truly mixed regarding either the benefit or detriment of whole grains. 
Much of the recent data and our evolutionary history indicate that grains are not healthy foods. A lack of them in a diet may be associated with disease not because grains are so healthful, but because their lack is characteristic of diets that do not include a broader variety of other more nutritious foods. Whole grain is nevertheless a respectable source of fiber, a necessary class of nutrients essential for optimal health. So the association of low whole grain intake with disease is most probably due to the lack of fiber rather than the lack of whole grains themselves. Looking at sugar-sweetened beverages, their consumption was 25 grams per day, far higher than the optimal intake of 3 grams. Yes, you heard me right, 3 grams. That's barely more than a sip of carbonated soda or energy drink or fruit drink. The low optimal intake effectively says, hey, this is something you should never consume. 100% fruit and vegetable juices were excluded from the category, but researchers might want to reconsider. They deliver nearly the same biochemical sugar shock as an equal serving of soda pop. Something else is similarly as unnecessary as sweetened beverages. Global consumption of processed meat at 4 grams per day is double the optimal amount of 2 grams. Putting that into perspective, an average beloved hot dog weighs about 2 ounces. That's 56.7 grams of processed meat. Eat a hot dog one day and then eat no more processed meat for the next four weeks if you want to even out your intake to match the optimal level. The global intake of red meat at 27 grams per day was 18% greater than the optimal intake of 23 grams, but still less than just one ounce, which is 28.35 grams. That implies cutting back by just one small bite of beef, pork, lamb, or goat. This is a global assessment, after all could put you right on target for daily red meat consumption. These numbers also imply that consumption of red meat in the United States is excessive, especially when you order a 6, 8, or 16-ounce slice of roast beef in a restaurant, which would be 7, 10, or 20 times the optimal level. Looking at who in the world is abusing themselves more than someone else, we find that men generally had a higher intake of both healthy and unhealthy foods than did women. That makes sense, given that a man's metabolism in general runs at twice the pace of a woman's. Intake of both healthy and unhealthy foods was generally higher among middle-aged adults, 50 to 69 years of age, and lowest among young adults, 25 to 49 years of age. That global propensity I find perplexing at first glance, but it is economics that has the final say. Financial stability and income often increase as we progress through our work careers. That financial advantage simply provides the purchasing power to buy and consume more food. Younger people, though, drink the greatest number of sugar-sweetened beverages, that's expected, and eat the most legumes, that surprised me, but decrease consumption of each with age. There are, of course, wide variations among countries. In the United States, legumes have been under-consumed for decades, and the amount each of us eats continues to fade. Although a body of peer-reviewed research demonstrates that regular legume consumption can prevent obesity, metabolic syndrome, cardiovascular diseases, and colorectal cancer, regular legume consumption is low in U.S. adults, and the current level of consumption is unlikely to confer any health advantage. Nevertheless, I look on the alleged health benefits of legumes with skepticism based on the emerging research on the lectins and anti-nutrients in many of them.
We must keep in mind that the accepted wisdom about the health of certain foods or nutrients can be reversed based on new knowledge. If you've listened to earlier podcasts, you might recall the love and admiration heaped upon safflower oil and then fructose in the 1970s as life-saving nutrients for cardiovascular disease and diabetes, respectively. Later, safflower oil's high oxidation rate and omega-6 fatty acids were found to damage cardiovascular health, and fructose turned out to be one of the most dangerous foods a diabetic could swallow. The Global Burden of Disease study divides the planet into 21 regions that share similar dietary patterns. In 2017, and today too, no one was or is eating optimal amounts of any of the 15 monitored foods and nutrients in all 21 Global Burden of Disease regions, with few exceptions. They are vegetables in Central Asia, seafood omega-3 fatty acids in high-income Asia-Pacific regions, and legumes in the Caribbean, tropical Latin America, South Asia, Western Sub-Saharan Africa, and Eastern Sub-Saharan Africa. Among unhealthy food groups, consumption of sodium and sugar-sweetened beverages were higher than the optimal level in nearly every region. Red meat consumption was highest in Australasia, Southern Latin America, thank you Argentina, and tropical Latin America. Since the majority of my listeners reside in North America, I'm sure you'll want to hear about that region. It's good that we aren't overindulging in red meat, right? Uh, not quite. We indulge in something worse. High-income North America had the highest processed meat intake, followed by high-income Asia-Pacific and Western Europe regions. The highest intake of trans fats was also observed in high-income North America, Central Latin America, and Andean Latin America. Ooh, that's bad. Just ask your heart, although it has probably turned its back on you in a huff if you eat processed meats. So, let's look at the data to see how dietary indiscretions impact our health. Globally, deaths from dietary risks account for 22% of all deaths among adults. That means nearly one quarter of all adult deaths is attributed to what we put in our mouths, if you don't know either the healthful or toxic nature of a food, there is a one in four chance that the food being eaten can shorten your life. Become informed. Furthermore, unbalanced and poor diets account for 255 million years of life afflicted with some form of diet-caused disability and reduced quality of life, those dailies I mentioned before. Cardiovascular disease was and is now the leading cause of diet-related deaths and dailies. Cardiovascular susceptibility to dietary malfeasance is revealed in the numbers. The beleaguered heart just quits to cause 90% of all deaths or valiantly struggles on, causing 81% of all dailies. Cancers come in a distant second, and third place falls to type 2 diabetes. Bottom line is that cardiovascular disease, cancers, and diabetes are the primary causes of death related to dietary indiscretions. Interestingly, more than 45% of the total diet-related deaths and 70% of the total diet-related dailies occur among adults aged younger than 70 years. Septuagenarians and those older seem less susceptible. Lowered susceptibility to the ravages of non-communicable diseases caused by diet in our advanced years makes us wonder about what saves these older folks. 
For instance, a lucky person's individual genetics and or gut microbiome may be able to resist the assaults of dietary errors. Or perhaps dietary indiscretions simply kill off the more susceptible persons before they reach 70 years of age. Or perhaps an aging person's food preferences change so that he or she turns away from salty foods and ice cream to using less salt, eating more vegetables, and snacking on fresh fruit. We do, or should, get smarter as we age, unless one is a politician. Arriving at a certain level of wisdom frequently results in better food choices if we have the financial wherewithal to entertain those choices. So who is making the best and worst choices? I mentioned Israel and Uzbekistan earlier, but if we turn our attention to the world's 20 most populous countries, we find Egypt had the highest rate of all types of diet-related deaths and dailies, yet Egypt also had the lowest rate of cancer deaths and dailies. Japan had the lowest overall rate of diet-related deaths and dailies, as did Nigeria. China and Pakistan had the highest rates of cardiovascular disease deaths. China again lost face with the highest rates of diet-related cancer deaths and dailies. Does this mean you can no longer go to your favorite Chinese restaurant? It all depends on the amount of salt they use. Vegetables, cashews, broccoli, chicken, and fish are inherently healthy, but the heated oils and high salt content of common Chinese meals can make them deadly. So ask for less soy sauce and salt of any kind in preparation of your meal. Japan, another country that wrestles with its long history of heavy salt use, had the lowest rate of diet-related cardiovascular disease deaths and dailies and diabetes deaths and dailies. Good for them! High-sodium diets contribute mightily to both diseases. Dietary education in Japan is paying dividends. The highest proportion of diet-related type 2's diabetes deaths and dailies is found in the USA and Mexico. Ouch! Please, there really is no place for Coke, Sprite, ginger ale, Tim Hortons, Starbucks, or Dunkin' Donuts sweet drinks in anyone's diet. So, who are the healthiest countries that benefit from the least amount of diet-related, non-communicable diseases? Spain, France, Israel, and Japan lead the list. Italy and Australia come in right behind them. Norway, Sweden, New Zealand, Canada, Peru, and England follow closely, as does Germany. The United States and Brazil slip down to the third tier. Our affluence and the availability of so many processed, salted foods of entertainment and a lack of discipline to avoid them, have done us in. The bad effects from using too much salt and not eating enough fruit and vegetables apply equally among us all. Yet three other dietary factors that are nearly inconsequential on the global stage dramatically impact the health of United States citizens. The three are, one, diets high in sugar-sweetened beverages, two, diets high in processed meats, and three, diets high in red meat. No other region consumes the volume of sweetened beverages per capita that is consumed in high-income North America. Only Central Latin America consumes more processed meat than the U.S., and per capita consumption of red meat in North America surpasses all other regions. What do these unfortunate habits do to us? Let's look at the three dietary problems that are more unique to North America and the three dietary problems that are more common around the globe. Diets high in red meat support chronic inflammation. That contributes to diseases from arthritis through heart disease to cancer. 
a specific glycoprotein in red meat may go beyond the instigation of inflammation to further stimulate the immune system to attack the body's own tissues, resulting in autoimmune disorders. High consumption of sugar-sweetened beverages contributes to the obesity epidemic and the accelerating rise of type 2 diabetes with its mortal effects on cardiovascular health. 75% of diabetics unfortunately perish from cardiovascular disease. Diets high in processed meat play a special causative role in both cardiovascular disease and cancer. Indeed, processed meats from spam and hot dogs through bacon and smoked oysters are significantly more damaging than consumption of red meat. The leading global killer is a diet high in sodium. The sodium comes, of course, from too much salt used in cooking and food preparation, for salt is 40% sodium and 60% chloride. Except for a very few among us, too much sodium in the diet can lead to high blood pressure, heart disease, and stroke. It can also cause calcium loss, potentially leading to osteoporosis. Most Americans consume at least one and a half teaspoons of salt per day, or about 3,400 milligrams of sodium. That contains far more than the 500 milligrams required to conduct nerve impulses, contract and relax muscles, and maintain the proper balance of water and minerals. Diets low in fresh vegetables eliminate the primary source of antioxidant polyphenols that might otherwise help balance the inflammation from red meat consumption and help maintain cardiovascular integrity. Many of the antioxidants in fruits are also anti-mutagenic, antibacterial, antiviral, antiparasitic, and antifungal. Plant-derived polyphenols indeed provide a cornerstone to good health. Diets low in whole grains rank second globally as a contributor to mortality and first globally as a contributor to dailies, those disability-adjusted life years. Consuming more whole grains should then help reduce deaths from cardiovascular disease and cancer and should help people avoid a compromised lifestyle or years spent battling disabilities. I have great difficulty accepting these findings at face value. I do not doubt that population studies will show that whole grains as part of a mixed diet may contribute health benefits. In poorer societies, where grain is a major staple necessary to sustain life itself, the influence of grain may be less desirable. Grains in general contain anti-nutrients that inhibit the absorption of key minerals and interfere with the digestion of proteins. There are lectins in the hybridized grains cultivated worldwide that damage and inflame the gastrointestinal tract of roughly 80% of the global population. Malabsorption syndromes triggered by the lectins in a grain-based diet can be expected to retard nutrient absorption, lowering one's health status. Collectively, societies that consume a lot of grain should experience multiple health challenges. Therefore, when diets contain inadequate amounts of fresh fish, poultry, green vegetables, and fruit, grain must be relied upon to supply essential calories. But I cannot wholeheartedly recommend them as a dietary staple except under circumstances of calorie deprivation. Although consuming whole grain is more nutritious than consuming processed grain and flour, I would not expect them to contribute much value except fiber to diets in affluent societies. When wealth makes all food groups easily available and affordable, then the requirement for grain consumption can be dismissed. Along with it can be dismissed the deleterious effects of their lectins and other anti-nutrients. 
In other words, if you consume bountiful fresh vegetables, fruits, and fresh meats, it is not necessary to take in the more toxic calories of grains. Moving on, let's add nuts and seeds to the list of foods beneficial to health. Diets low in them are mighty contributors to cardiovascular disease and diabetes. Furthermore, Blue Zone studies indicate that consumption of a handful of fresh nuts each day helps contribute to longevity, undoubtedly through their role in reducing cardiovascular and diabetic mortality. Omega-3 fatty acids from animal sources, most specifically fish and krill, are most critical in removing both the risk of death and the risk of disability from cardiovascular disease, even more so than high vegetable diets. Diets low in either or both vegetables and omega-3 fatty acids ranked fifth and sixth globally among causes of non-communicable disease mortality and disability. So where does the United States rank among the 21 regions? We are in the middle as part of the affluent North America region, tied with the Caribbean, Central and Southern Latin America, all of us at 18% of our annual deaths attributable to dietary causes. Nine regions have greater and nine regions have lower percentages of deaths from non-communicable dietary causes. Are you shocked? Don't be. Our current position in the middle is in keeping with our slide from the top rank in education, industrial innovation, life expectancy, and health care. The United States is not even the most free, liberty-loving country. But we do have enough freedom left to make wiser food choices. Each of us will have to decide how healthy we want to be and choose what we are going to do to get and stay healthy. If you want to avoid dailies, those disabled years of life caused by eating stupidly, and if you want to reduce the risk of death by diet, then you know what to do. Cut way back on salt, eat fish and poultry, use omega-3 fatty acid supplements, have a handful of nuts each day, you know, almonds, cashews, hazelnuts, walnuts, pecans, macadamia nuts. Brazil nuts are a great source of selenium. And remember, peanuts are not nuts, they're legumes. Don't eat processed meats from the deli, the can, or the plastic shrink wrap package. Cook with olive oil and coconut oil. Totally ignore canned and bottled soda. Drink fruit juice sparingly. And by all means, pile your plates with fresh, whole, roasted, steamed, sautéed, or baked vegetables. Let these habits guide your dietary preferences, and you will be doing the best you can to support good health, as far as we know today. Just keep in mind that we are still relatively clueless after all these years, and what is a best practice this year may be shown to be a deadly practice next year. Be prepared to change. For eating is a duty, one must get one's recreation elsewhere. Thank you for listening. The Healthy Geezer theme music is by the Camden Jazz Trio. You can find episodes of the Healthy Geezer podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Podcast Gang, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, and wherever you go to access podcasts. Episodes, as well as written transcripts, plus blogs on additional topics on health and nutrition, are also available at our website, marktimmon.com. If you like what you hear, please tell a friend to tune in to the Healthy Geezer podcast and be sure to subscribe by hitting the subscribe button on your podcast directory's platform. If you have questions, I will do my best to answer them. Just send an email to mark at marktimmon.com. That's Mark with a K and Timmon with one M. 
all as one word, M-A-R-K-T-I-M-O-N.com.